Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Hey, thank you, everybody. I'm so happy with you, and I, I apologize that I couldn't be there in person. I had a canceled flight and could not get to you by my time slot, but I want to just say... Before I get into anything about why I'm running for president and what we have to do in this country, I want to thank you for the fight you're waging every day. Organized labor in Iowa has been fighting a really, really difficult battle, (laughs) but you've been doing it in in a way that shows so much passion, so much strength. And and I believe the tide is turning, and you can see it in elections all over the state of Iowa, and labor's been so essential to those victories. I want to thank you because I, I just want to say, I know it's, it's not, not easy. Uh, I just want to offer all of my appreciation because I know it's a tough, tough fight. But what you're doing is making a huge difference for Iowa and for the whole country. <laughs> Today with romance's last thing, let us say less than a night, three or four a night, uh, given the age we're living in. And there's no reason to play a song, Will I See You in September. It's like, Will I See You Later? Because it's over. Yeah, there's a lot of news. The Obama family bought a $15 million mansion. They own a $9 million one. You see, you got to understand something about this. You really shouldn't prejudge these poor Obamas. They are oppressed minorities. There is no question that they're oppressed. And although they live in a $9 million mansion and they're worth hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, these oppressed minorities, uh, Barack and Michelle Obama, just bought a $15 million home on a beach in Martha's Vineyard. Because they came to do good, and they did very well indeed, like all good liberals. Now, there are other stories we'll talk about. I don't know if I want to talk about the San Francisco board rebranding a convicted felon into a justice-involved person. It's, it's, It's almost ludicrously impossible to read this, and you can't laugh at it. They are insane. The city is suffering through a crime wave. As I've said before, the FBI needs to come in and seize control of the city before it gets worse. You know, I've spoken to local people who don't even know about the uh, man who was saved by his 13-year-old son as he was being strangled to death by a homeless bomber vagrant, a violent vagrant. No one even heard the story because the newspaper, which is owned by the Democrat Party and their factotums, didn't even report it until a day later and then buried it immediately. It's unbelievable to me, so I'm going to read about that. New sanitized language. For criminals, there's no such word as an offender anymore. No word for an addict anymore. You know what they call a juvenile delinquent now? A young person with justice system involvement. A juvenile delinquent is now a young person impacted by the juvenile justice system. I'm quoting now. Drug addicts or junkies uh, will become a person with a history of substance abuse. Supervisor Matt Haney, who belongs in a mental hospital, unfortunately... The hospitals were closed in this state, and they're all in City Hall. I said, we don't need to reopen the mental hospitals in this state. All we need to do is shutter and lock City Hall, lock the state capitol with all the supervisors and representatives in there, and there you go. Then you have the mental hospitals reopened again, and then just put the violent felons in there along with them. Supervisor Matt Haney, Mad Hatter, says we want them ultimately to become contributing citizens. And referring to them as felons is like a scarlet letter that they can never get away from. Okay, you're so touching. 
Well, you know, I was going to think about something else to talk about. I have so many topics. The violence by refugees in Germany. Bernie Sanders, the Seltzer man, unleashing a $16 trillion climate plan uh, that builds on the Green New Deal and includes Seltzer bottle inspectors going in Granny's attic to look for old Seltzer bottles and anyone found with one who didn't turn it in. If you don't turn in your assault Seltzer bottles, once the Green New Deal takes place, you could be arrested for hiding a, uh, an old Seltzer bottle in the attic. So be very careful that they're coming for you. You know, but I was thinking I could be rebranded as America's favorite storyteller. Do you know anyone who, who really is America's favorite storyteller? There was a guy years ago named Garrison Keillor. I think he died. I never liked him because he was too preachy, Midwestern, uh, too left-wing for me. But he was known as America's storyteller. Right now, I'm known as America's storyteller, notably because I can tell great stories and they're all true. I don't even need to embellish them because I've had such a rich life. You know, but I think most of us have had rich lives. Only I focus on the details. My sister said to me on the phone the other day, she said, Michael, I'm astounded how you can remember things from when you were a little boy down to the, the merest detail. I said, well, they're important to me. I remember the details. And I said, sister, I'm an artist. Do you understand that? And to an artist, the details are what's important. So I remember every little detail of my childhood, and I tell the stories, and I've done so in my books, such as uh, how I got into radio and a savage life and things like that. But I want to tell you a new story that you haven't heard about, sort of new. I went out on my boat yesterday after the show. It's getting hot out here. I know we've enjoyed in the San Francisco area a really cool summer, really. And I don't mean cool in the sense of hip cool. I mean cold. You know, six covers, flannel pajamas, the kind of nights I love because I sleep great. All of a sudden, the heat wave comes in, the pressure changes in the atmosphere. So I go out on my little boat. Now, I want to tell you about it for a simple reason. I, I was thinking about boating and how it relaxes my mind and why it does and how universal, uh, universally appealing being on the water is. I have never met anyone who does not enjoy being on the water in a boat of any size. And there are many reasons for it. I'm not a psychologist. I can pretty much figure out uh, many of the, uh, the reasons that we love being on the water. Not only does it feel good and smell good and you get uh, closer to nature, there are other reasons. It's the prenatal thing again, going back to the birth canal and all that stuff. But I go out and all of my life's problems are left on the dock. I don't will it. It just happens. You see, I drive my own boat. It's a small boat. It's only a 25-foot boat with an inboard diesel engine. It's a closed boat because I, I don't want the sun on my head. I'm not looking for skin cancer at any point in my life. It's a closed boat. You see, that's how I like boating. Uh, I'm not one of the guidos who likes to go out with an open 50, a bare hairy chest with a cross on it, and, and go at 70 miles an hour and swamp everybody on the Intracoastal Canal in Florida. No, I'm not a guido boater. I'm a savage boater, and it means I'm a very subdued savage boater. I do 15 knots, which is what the boat will do. Cabin is closed. The windows are open. What am I doing when I'm on that boat? I'm forgetting all the news of the day. I don't know Democrat. I don't know Republican. I don't know who's in the boat coming at me. I don't know whether they're a communist or a fascist. Probably neither of the above. Probably a guy who just went out to go fishing. I look at the seals. I look at the dolphins. I look at the landforms. I look at the fog. I feel the wind. I watch the waves. Do you know anyone who's not happy when they're on the water? I don't. I've never met anybody like that. It's not truly a great boating story. It's just an interesting escape from the vicissitudes of the world that we're all living in now. Someone asked me yesterday, a young man who's 30, he said, was uh, 
were the 60s as bad as now? Was it much more vicious? Were people more at each other's throats? And I had to think for a moment, and I'll say, and I said to him, no, no, the 60s were not as bad as now. We did not have vagrant, insane people crapping in the streets of major cities. No, in the 60s, nobody would pull their pants down and let loose of a diarrhea on a woman's shoe. No, we didn't have, in the 60s, vagrants who would have been in mental hospitals attacking storekeepers who were selling truffles in their store who had to be saved by a 13-year-old son. No, the 60s were tame compared to today, and you can't blame the right wing for it, young man. It's because liberalism is a mental disorder, and we're living through the most mentally disordered time in history. For them to say that everyone who voted for Trump is a Nazi or a fascist is indicative of their low IQ, number one, and the insanity of the left, number two. But when they reclassify junkies and felons and juvenile delinquents into language that's so absurd that a six-year-old would laugh at them, you now understand that the ruling class in liberal cities is truly a mental case. All of them belong in a mental hospital. But then again, I am America's favorite storyteller, and I don't want to bum anyone out. I don't want to make you upset by calling insane people insane. And speaking of insanity, the so-called, I guess, the American Psychology Association or something along those lines, I had it here. It's not the truffle shop, not the drag queen story. No, not the drag queen story. It was somewhere along the way that one of the bigwigs in the psychology world said that all the mass shootings are not caused by mental illness. No, not at all. No, no, no. It's caused by... by well, and not mental illness. There's no mental illness at all related to shooting. And not drugs either. Well, he's just a pimp for the drug industry. That's what, unfortunately, the leaders of the psychology associations have become, which are front men for uh, the drug industry. And we all know that the second shooter, the Toledo shooter, in fact, was not motivated by hate. He was motivated by insanity and drugs. He was on cocaine, marijuana, and I think a few prescription drugs thrown in as well. This is uh, the Savage Nation, San Francisco Board re Brands Convicted Felon as Justice-Involved Person. U.S. joins countries in agreeing to regulate giraffe trade. Now, you know anyone who trades in giraffe parts? If you do, please report them to somebody and see if they can be arrested. Who in the world would buy a giraffe part? Who in the world buys that stuff? Report shows U.S. deficit to exceed $1 trillion next year. But, hey, come on now. Let's stop it. Let's not point that out because we got to remember MAGA. But you got to understand something. MAGA comes at a cost. And if MAGA's cost is a trillion dollars next year, well, it's well worth it because it's done by someone who believes in MAGA. Uh, now, what else is in the new? Crappy Jew year. I didn't make that up. Crappy Jew year is a um, tweet that was sent out by a New York Times editor. A New York Times political editor has a years-long history of anti-Semitic and racist comments on his Twitter page. You haven't heard anything about it from the Democrats. But according to those who investigated, Tom Wright Piersanti, who's been a senior staff editor at the NYT for more than five years, uh, has made a series of Jew-hating comments and racist comments, which is still available on his Twitter page. Interesting, Twitter didn't stop him. One tweet that is still public is from the early morning of New Year's Day in 2010 when the New York Times editor admits he's anti-Semitic and, and proud of it, but announces that his New Year's resolution was to be less anti-Semitic, even though the tweet's content mocks Jewish people. He said, I was going to say crappy Jew year, 
But one of my resolutions is to be less anti-Semitic. Right, Piersanti tweeted on January 1, 2010 at 9.30 uh, a.m. So he says, so happy Jew year, you Jews. He has not yet been fired. We haven't heard anything yet about this man at the New York Times from any of the Democrat candidates, which is why I played, well, I see you in September, because hopefully not. Back in a minute. Savage. You know, there are people who are naturally cool. They don't have to study how to be cool. Then there are the imposters in Hollywood study cool people to learn how to be cool, to learn how to sound cool, learn how to talk cool, walk cool. Coolest people I know aren't even, they don't look cool, by the way. What does the word cool mean? I remember when it came up in the 60s. I, I used to wince when a guy would say, that's cool, you're cool, I'm cool, he's cool. That's like saying, I'm a great American, you're a great American. Klutzy. Klutzy, you know, I mean, it's like Benny Hill music. Where is Benny Hill now that we don't need him? He'd have a heck of a talk show if he was in business. As you can see, I really don't want to get into the heavyweight political stuff because it's the end of summer at the Hotel Savage here, and I'm giving away the store. I mean, we have another week in, in August, the end of August at the Hotel Ozone. Used to be a movie in the 60s, by the way. Anyone ever see it? Raise your hand if you're a film. Now you can all look it up. That's the problem with the Internet. I can raise the most obscure point. You could look it up on Google in two seconds. You make believe you know what I'm talking about when you don't. So forget about it. But there was a film called The End of Summer at the Hotel Ozone. It was an offbeat classic film that has absolutely nothing to do with politics. It wasn't about liberals or conservatives. It was just great art. Is there any great art anymore? Speaking of great art, I'm watching something on Netflix. I know I'm not, not supposed to mention it because they're very left wing and all that. But I must admit that um, I need to go to Netflix Rehabilitation if I can find such an organization. Is there a Netflix rehab program somewhere out there? Because last winter, I must have put in a 1,000 hours or more on series. I, I was watching series from Turkey that I didn't understand one word in Turkish, but I liked the series, like 50 episodes of a detective. Another one in Russian didn't understand a word. But the guy was so interesting and so cool, and the female lead was so sexy and the scripts were so well written in translation, I watched every one of them. So now I'm addicted to another Netflix drama. And I think it's called Mind Slayer or Mind Hunter. Mind Hunter. And it's about, it starts out really slow and it doesn't look like it's going to be any good. And it's about a young guy in the 60s who starts to create almost by accident a division of the FBI that um, starts to do psychological profiles of serial killers. So in the beginning, it looks corny, and it doesn't look like it's going to grip me. But, you know, all right, I'm watching it, watching it. And then slowly but surely, they bring in a female lead, his girlfriend, great actress. And she adds a dimension to it that would, I think the show would have died if they had not written her in. Because women bring a certain dimension of beauty, obviously, to any show. Uh, and so she's written in. And then the two characters are amazing. One is a gruff, older guy, FBI agent who's cynical of the young man. But the point is, is I'm watching their investigation of serial murderers. And one of them is a six foot eight, 280 pound white guy. I have to throw that in in our age who they get the permission to go visit in a, in a, in a prison somewhere. And you know, you're waiting for him to come in. They're sitting in the room waiting for him with a tape recorder. Then a guy comes in and I don't know where they got this actor from, but the way he describes so matter-of-factly how he killed women, 
mutilated women, what he did to his mother because she insulted him. And the funny part is, is that almost all of the serial murderers had a mother who was a B.I. to them, a mother who put them down, a mother who neglected them, a mother who insulted them, a mother who emasculated them. It's amazing, isn't it? Savage. Thank you, everybody. I'm so happy with you, and I, I apologize <laughs> I couldn't be there in person. I had a canceled flight and could not get to you this by my time slot. But I want to just say, I swear, before we, I get into anything about why I'm running for president, what we have to do in this country, is I want to thank you host for the fight you're waging every day. Organized labor in Iowa has been fighting a really, really difficult oh, battle, oh, but you've been doing it. In, in a way that shows so much passion, so, okay, so much stop strength. It. Okay, we get that he was at an event. He couldn't appear because of an airplane screw-up. So de Blasio appears at the Iowa Federation of Labor and Congress of Industrial Organizations Conference uh, via Skype on giant projection screens. And the sound is screwed up, and it sounds like Alvin and the Chipmunks. <laughs> you know, this is amazing. This is who the – you know, sometimes life does imitate art. This is – man, this is so embarrassing – but so realistic. Nobody thinks this man should run. The city is a mess. Crime is out of control. Taxation out of control. And there it is. He's on a campaign trail to ruin America like he ruined New York City. Let me take some callers. How's that? Remember, you're listening to America's favorite storyteller, Michael Savage. And if you care, I'll tell you, I may just do a story or two for you today. Uh, I, I can read to you from a savage life. I can talk to you from my life. What is your favorite story in a savage life? If you want me to tell it to you, I won't read it to you. But let's take some callers. Jimmy in New York line, too. What's on your mind, Jimmy? Oh, Dr. Savage, um, I just have to tell you, I was driving home from Jersey the other night, and I listen to your podcasts, every one of them. If I miss it, I, I, and sometimes I repeat them, and I just keep repeating them to get it. You spoke about your, 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 your party that you were going to have, and you were in the alleyway on Avenue B, and the people started throwing pots of water at you. Get out of here, you hippie freaks. And I heard about your poster, and the way you met your wife, the way you met your wife, listen, I'm a guy, I don't care, I, I'm Italian, I don't, I don't hide my emotions. I got teary-eyed driving on the New Jersey Turnpike saying, my God, because I, I have tapes, old cassette tapes, and I used to record your show. I remember when you had your wife on it and you were speaking with her, and beautiful Mama Savage, I listened oh, to Oh, you're talking about 20 years ago or more? You remember those shows? Absolutely, and I, I, I had them on tape because in my neighborhood I'm called J uh, Michael Savage Jr. Because hey, Jim. Hey, Jimmy, Jimmy Sr., I want to ask you, so how do you listen to the podcast in the car? How does that work? What do you do to get it in the car? Uh, I downloaded the podcast app, and then what do I do? I hit it, and it goes on USB, and it comes out of my speakers on the wire. Oh, my gosh, it's like a radio show. Uh, absolutely. But oh, so although I've been banned in New York City it's a, uh, it's by a, the geniuses who ran the station who were no longer there, my fans are still finding me. Savage, please listen. Let me just get this out. Let me just tell you. I know people say, oh, I love you. I love you. No. But yeah, like I told you, I'm the guy with three generations. And don't get, you don't have to get dramatic. Yes, I did lose my son. Yes, he did listen to you. But my father introduced me to you. How beautiful when you play Mozart's Requiem, when you tell your stories about the Mongols and the, what I've learned from you, I never learned in school. You have to understand me. I'm not saying this to blow smoke up anybody. No, no, I, Jimmy, listen to me. I'm a national treasure i have to say it because 
Yes. I'm not so far away from Donald Trump and knowing who I am. Hey, if I'm not for myself, who's going to be? Rush Limbaugh is going to tell the world about me? That wonderful, great American is going to tell the world about my greatness and my badness and my being banned in Britain. The great conservatives of radio don't even mention my being banned. What does that tell you about them? Please, they're so boring and repetitive. I can't. I listen to you all week, and I go back for years. I listen to all my cassettes. You are Trump, great. Trump, great. Trump, great. Trump, great. <laughs> Communism coming. Trump, great. How do I do that? How do you do what? I want to go to England and see your botanist collection. I want. I, I want. How do? Oh, I, you want to go to the Kew Gardens? Well, there's actually a set of the same rare plants. The way it was done is you make up seven different sets of all the plants and send them to uh, museums around the world. One of them is in the Bishop Museum in Honolulu, which I can still go to, and so could you. Another one is in the Hermitage in, in, in Moscow, which definitely shows Russia collusion because Russian, the Russian Academy of Sciences wanted my plant collection because I didn't know it 40 years ago, but I was already colluding with Russia then. I had no idea by sending the botanical specimens. There's a set of the specimens in Berlin, and then there's another set in the New York Botanical Garden, I believe. Now, you can't go into the herbarium and say, can I see Michael Savage's collection, because it is not organized in that manner. They are dispersed. There are hundreds of different medicinal plant um, samples or uh, herbarium sheets, and they're spread throughout the herbarium under different phyla, on, under different genuses, under different species. It's something that only an expert can do. I'm sorry to tell you, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Since you're interested, I may go up. I have one collection that I've saved for myself, which is worth a fortune. I will photograph you and it and show it on my on my. Do you follow me on Twitter or on MichaelSavage.com? MichaelSavage.com and Twitter. I will I will post it for you on. Uh, where do you live in New York? What borough? I live in Staten Island. Yes, and De Blasio destroyed us. He's destroyed. You know, wait. That's an that used to be an Italian enclave. What happened to Staten Island? Now, now it's tutto disonorato, all dishonorable people here. You don't. <laughs> oh, speak Italiano to me. Say it again. Tutto disonorato, all dishonorable people, all dishonorable. Tutto disonorato. How did they get into Staten Island? Why did they pick Staten Island? Because over here they walk with the sheets and the slits, and you can't say nothing, but I say something. <laughs> <laughs> they get mad at me, and my mother says, shut up, they're going to kill you. I said, I can't take it no more. How old is your mom? My mom, God bless, is 82. Every step in bread she takes, I'm right underfoot. I love her. Do you live with her? No, no, not at all. She's 82 and independent, and she drives and everything. And Dad died a long time ago? Dad died 10 years ago, and I had been on your show when you had come back on your birthday. We were speaking about it. I, well, we, I told you, three generations. I will not let you go. Oh, you're the three-generation people in Staten Island. Yes, but play Mozart's Requiem. Tell why, why, why? Because you were heartbroken over the loss of your son? Oh, I was heartbroken over everything that's been going on. My son, when he died, part of me is dead and will never come back. Oh, my God. How did? Do you mind telling us? I mean, I don't want to pull this out of you, but <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. No, I'm talking to you like a friend now. What happened to your son? Dr. Savage, he's in heaven. He's in a better place. Trust me, someday I'll be there, I hope. My son got an asthma attack. He was in a filthy hospital on Staten Island. They put him in an induced coma, and they never got him back. I would have had him in Manhattan, but God had a different thing. And your book, mm. God, Faith, and Reason, I have the book, and I have the CDs that I listen to in my car as well. How old was your son when he passed away? Three years young. Oh, my God. Oh, fighting to get him in college, and I couldn't. 
How old was he? 23. A young guy. Nothing. September 1st. Nothing, nothing, no reason. Just died for no reason. Who dies of asthma? But I'm happy to say he didn't die. No, I never heard of it. I, I Well, okay, yes, people do choke to death from a, from a respiratory uh, collapse. So what? I don't understand this. A filthy hospital? Yeah, that's exactly what I call them, a filthy hospital. I call them all a bunch of rat bastard murderers because you killed my son. There was no reason anybody dies today with asthma. They're removing hearts and putting them in. Well, what, did you have a doctor from Somalia or was it an American doctor? No, to tell you the truth, I don't know what my ex-wife was doing, but I... Okay, here we go. I can see where this is going. Listen, no, listen to me, doctor. I'm listen, a- if I go to an emergency room and I see someone from, like, Africa or somewhere else, I usually leave the hospital. Now, you call that racism today if you're stupid. I don't know. I'd rather see an American doctor walk in who actually speaks English, wouldn't you? That's all I want, someone to speak English. You know? If a guy can't speak English to me, how is he going to diagnose what's wrong with me? And how am I going to understand what he diagnosed? What about my son? Well, uh, how are you going to ask him anything about the, the, uh, the illness if he doesn't speak English very well? Exactly. Believe me, you have no idea what this borough has turned into. Staten Island and Brooklyn are a disgrace. Why do you think I opened the show today playing what I did and saying I went out on my little boat yesterday to get away from the world? The world is driving me crazy right now, uh, Jimmy. Jimmy, Jimmy, it's a sick place. Have you ever heard of a story like the one I read the other day? A guy is delivering like a stove or an air conditioner in Florida. Him and his friend from a a company. They're delivery men, right? Installers, installers. The woman is in her 70s. One of the guys goes out to take a smoke. This guy's left in the apartment with her. The other guy hears screams, comes in. The woman is dead on the floor in a pool of blood and on fire. The other delivery man who was high on marijuana and, and cocaine beat her to death with a, a hammer and then set her on fire with acetone. Have you ever heard of a story like this? Jesus Christ. No, I No, but Jimmy, what I'm saying is, how can the world get any more insane than it is right now? It's upside down, I say. The devil is running wild. Well, what? Well, okay, so I would say drugs had a lot to do with that, wouldn't you? 100%. 100%. I'm fighting with my niece. I tell her, stop giving the baby the sugar. Stop giving him the dog. Oh. Stop giving Oh, I saw another one in the supermarket this morning. Another well-dressed, good-looking blonde. And there she is with the child. Would you like a scone? Would you like a cupcake? No breakfast. Just dose him up on sugar. The kid gets hyperactive. Then they put him on a pill for hyperactivity. Then the kid goes out and buys illegal drugs when he's 16. And they wonder why there's so many drug addicts in the country. Dr. Savage, before you let me go... What am I, like the Lone Ranger left? Am I the only one who remembers anything, the connection between food, diet, and behavior? Am I the only one left in the world? No, I listen to you emphatically. Dr. May I just share one more thing with you and I'll let you go? Well, why not? You're a great caller. Go ahead. I'm selling the house. Go ahead. It happened in three weeks. We buried my cousin, brain uh, cancer, 68. Another burial. No, my, if my wife hears this, she'll say, can you, can you stop taking calls talking about death? But wait, my Aunt Ruthie had a massive stroke. We're running back. Oh, go on. Let's hear the whole thing. Who else got sick or died in the last year? Cousin Anthony, who was, uh, his wife is uh, Ludwig's of 18th Avenue. He married Jewish. He converted. Anthony Costaldo's bar mitzvah. He passed away, 46 years old, of an overdose. After they went through 300. Wait, wait, wait. You, you lost me on it. He's Italian, converted to Judaism? Yeah, my, my uncle, yes. He's Italian, and he converted to. Married Jewish, converted to Judaism, and he still was a junkie? No, no, no. His son became a junkie. They oh, 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 well, you could blame, blame it on the mother. 
And that's how I opened the show. And this whole thing about serial murderers on Netflix, every one of them has something in common. All of them had nutcase mothers who picked on them or put them down or emasculated them. Would you believe it? $400,000 wasted and he, and he winds up dying. Well, I got to close that segment with one thing. You're going to not believe it. So my mother, rest in peace, loved a great woman. When I went to college, Queens College, and I took a course in Psych 101, I came home, you know, I had psychology books. She was not an educated woman, but inherently very smart. So she saw the psychology book. So she said, what are you studying? I said, psychology. She says, oh, yeah, soon you'll find out that the mother, they always blame the mother. It's always the mother. That's what she said. She knew even then in the 50s that the mother was always going to be seen as the villain to psychologists or all wackadoodle uh, woman haters. Did you know that? They drop everything. When I went to a psychologist, I said... We could, you and I could keep going and blow through my, uh, my, my ad break here. My knee is going out from this conversation. Do you have a copy of A Savage Life yet? I'm in a schwitz here. Can I send you a book? I, I, I would love it, but I got Teddy and me. I love that book over and No, no, you're getting A Savage Life, and God bless you for being one of my loyalists. Man, I, I tell you, you don't know how good this is for me. I'll be right back. Savage. Medal of Honor. Nothing like the Medal of Honor. I wanted one, but they told me I don't qualify. I said, can I give it to myself anyway? They said, I don't think that's a good idea. It's like a stand-up. It's like a stand-up job. The president said that he uh, wanted to give himself a Medal of Honor, uh, but the people in the military said it wasn't a good idea. He said, can I give it to myself anyway? They said, I don't think that's a good idea. It's like a stand-up. It's like a combination of Henny Youngman, Jackie Mason, you joke about the Medal of Honor. Why not? Ah, there's no standards anymore for anything. So make a joke about the Medal of Honor. Don't make it have any real meaning anymore. So I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm going to run a contest right now. I'm going to read a paragraph. Then I'm going to ask you a question. Whoever tells me where it's from gets a gift. Here it is. Here's the paragraph. The first guy to win her attention was Andrew, a tall, ugly screwball who imitated the French existentialists by throwing potato salad at ship lecturers. If anyone can tell me where that paragraph comes from, specifically, I'm going to send you a special gift in the next hour. There was such a guy. Again, I'm, I'm trying to find ship-related substances. So he threw potato salad at ship lecturers, Andrew did, and everyone thought he was cool. You talk about cool. This guy was six foot five, like Ichabod Crane, and he was a, a withdrawn hermit-like guy on the ship. Everyone else was like a jock from college. This guy got all of the women because he was a complete screwball nut who threw potato salad at the ship lecturers. Go figure what women like. Can you figure it out yet? They like crazy people, generally. The Westwood One Podcast Network. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Jews vote for Democrats, will they be disloyal to Israel? Is that what you're saying? Oh, I'd say so, yeah. yeah. Isn't that anti-Semitic? Say, no, no, no. It's only in your head. It's only uh, anti-Semitic in your head. If you look at what Tlaib... Omar, uh, Cortez, if you look at what these people, I say, uh, if you just AOC plus four or plus three, 
if you look at what they say, they what they are they are so bad for Israel. They are so bad for Jewish people. So this is another win, another one where again, whatever Trump says, they misinterpret. He says, he says Jews who are anti-Israel are disloyal for voting Democrat. I agree with him a hundred percent. The Jews I have met in my life who are liberal Democrats hate Israel. They're always on the side of people who would put them in a concentration camp or kill their children. I don't understand it. So why is Trump wrong to point out the obvious right away? Oh, it's a trope. Right away, Morton Kleinberg, whatever his name is, Kleinfeld, Kleinman of a Zionist organization. Now, I don't know. What, where did they come from the minute Trump says something? Look, he's an anti-Semite. It proves he's an anti-Semite because he used the trope. The latest word, trope. Remember, every uh, few months, there's a new word. It was uh, the gravitas a few years ago. Now it's trope. Trope. A green light was hot for a few months. He green-lighted the Nazis with that one. He used the anti-Semitic <laughs> trope. What a bunch of schmucks. That's all. I'm glad he stood up to them. He's right. He is 100% right when he says Jews who vote Democrat at this point are disloyal to Israel, not to America. They, of course, twisted it. That's all. Don't call me on it. I don't, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I almost got sick of it. It's too, it's too political. I don't want to do politics. Look, I got a, a thing. I'm on all these social sites. I don't know why I went on it. You're supposed to be on it. So I'm on Twitter, Facebook for years. I'm on Instagram. I was told it's a hot thing to be on. So I got, so a woman writes and she says, I look forward to your podcast every day. I used to listen to all the others and then quit. Sick of all things political. Love your book, readings, and sense of humor. She says, I'm a fellow New Yorker and appreciate your satire. I, I look forward to your epidemiological viewpoints and really loved diseases without borders. Thank you for all you do. Well, I say thank you for all you do. That's all. Now we have a winner. Is there any kind of soundbite we can play? I read a paragraph before. I'm going to read it again. Someone knows where it's from. And I'm going to read it again. It's an obscure paragraph from an obscure book. And here it is. Actually, I should build up to this by reading where it comes from. It was a converted troop ship, the MV Waterman, that carried my friend Marty and me on our pilgrimage to Donnie's Paradise Island. <laughs> Two years it took me to save up for that trip. When we first escaped our moorings with deep foghorn vibrations not matched by today's jet wine, all of my past seemed to slip beneath my feet. That was going somewhere. The last person in my family to ride a ship was my father on his immigrant journey to America. Turning around on the stern, drunk with Marty and a couple of hundred other budget-minded travelers and feeling New York's West Side receders in a dream, I knew I had cut the umbilical cord for good. Out to sea and seated for my first meal, I knew the next 10 days would be bad news for food. Cheap German food served by surly waiters not older than you does not make for an appetizing prospect. So I took to sneaking into the first-class lounge each night and heaping the tasty little sandwiches into my raincoat. Those ham and other cold-cut sandwiches beat the sauerkraut and potato soups served in our low-class uh, uh, dining room, but it also served to screw me up physically. And that's when I met my first international beauty. She was coveted by all the boys, tall and pale, rarely smiling. Karen was the daughter of some World Bank executive, brought up in Swiss and English boarding schools. She was the dream of every working-class would-be poet on that tub. Now, here's the paragraph that I challenged you with. The first guy to win her attention was Andrew, a tall, ugly screwball who imitated the French existentialists by throwing potato salad at ship lecturers. 
And we have a winner right now. Ronaldo in California, where is that from? Thanks uh, for calling. American Gangster in Spain. <laughs> Ronaldo, how did you know that? How could you have known that? Well, I downloaded the podcast, and I work nights, so every day before work, it takes me about an hour to get there, I play that whole story just so it's a story time before I get to work. Oh, so you, you listen to this American Gangster in Spain on, on my podcast? Did I ever? I think I did it in the beginning. I did, yeah. You did it in February, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, my goodness. Right, right, right. I can't believe it. I forgot I did it. Oh, yeah, Chapter 13 of A Savage Life. Well, I'm sending you the book itself so that you can enjoy reading it. That's very good. Very good. It's a trip to Mallorca where I met the American gangster in Spain. You remember anything else from that story that sticks out, Ronaldo? Oh, yeah. Shotzi's bar when you were descending in the London Underground, and she was ascending, looking emaciated, almost pimply. Um, oh, you mean when I ran into the beauty years later in London? Correct. Yeah, yeah. That was a shock. That was a shock. She was the one everyone wanted on the yacht, on, the, on that ship. And uh, years later, by accident, I ran into her in the London, London Underground. She looked, she's probably a junkie, now that I think back. She's, yeah, probably, either, she's probably skin popping or shooting. It oh, just yeah. shows you, you know, a lot of these kids who come from these very wealthy backgrounds really screw up badly, don't they? All they do, it's, you know, it's like you said, it's the benzodiazepines, the SSRIs. All right, you stay on the line. I'm sending you that book. That's amazing. Why is it that so many uh, very attractive women are attracted to crazy men? You know, Robert was, he didn't ask me that. I asked him that. I shouldn't lay it on him. But I was, I was cracking the guys up. I said, have you noticed that a lot of the most beautiful women usually choose the craziest guy? They don't choose the handsome, like, ball player type. They usually go for the nutcase, the bizarro one. I don't know. And he said, well, the reverse works as well. Like, a lot of guys pick crazy women. I said, there's a lot of crazy out there. I mean, so we're not defining it in that sense of picking crazy. No, it's a generalized statement. But, okay, let's put it this way. Ladies, did, are you drawn to crazy men and why? I want to hear the answer to that one. Let's see if we can get some fun callers going. Anything, please, anything but Trump. And We can't do Mueller anymore. Mueller's gone. Whatever happened to Mueller? That was the stock and trade of talk radio for two straight years. Mueller! Uh, what were the key words, Robert? Mueller? Uh, Steel dossier. What were the other words? Steel dossier, Mueller. What else? Um, FISA. It's all we heard. Wallbanger, Wallbanger went to sleep at night rehearsing the 17 words that made him millions of dollars a year. FISA. Russia collusion. Mueller. Millions of dollars a year for repeating the same words over and over. A parrot could have done the radio show. But that's gone. So now what do they got? Oh, now we're all fascists and Nazis. Well, no, we're all racists and Nazis. Sorry. We're all racist and Nazis to the illegitimate. Eh. So I would rather do anything but that. So let's play a little sound for you on the Savage Nation. And uh, we got the Trump again. We're going to... No, no, no. Leave me alone. Isn't he on vacation? Wasn't Trump supposed to be on vacation this month? I heard he was going away for a, a week. And yet I wake up, he's at another event, again making gaffes. That's unbelievable to me. All right, here we are. President of the American Psychological Association says bigotry and hatred contribute to mass shootings. Uh, no, sir, it's drugs, drugs, and more drugs that you push that contribute to shooting. Uh, Beto's finished. I can't wait till he drops out. I hope it's before Labor Day, not after. Here's Julian Castro, another schmuck who is of absolute, you know, there was a word for him. 
years ago, a guy like Julian Castro, they were known as non-entities. That was the way you insulted somebody when I was young. I learned it from an older guy who was really smart. If somebody would try to say something to you and he really, a man, a man of no measure, of no value in life intellectually, you'd walk away and whisper to your friend, he's a non-entity. Julian Castro in the following soundbite is a non-entity. Listen to number 10. They can find billions of dollars for a wall that nobody wants, but they can't find the heart or the resources, a little bit of money, to give kids soap or toothbrushes, or in this case, something like the flu vaccination, which is vital for some kids. Uh, it doesn't make any sense except that this president is absolutely determined to carry out maximum cruelty with little children who are brown. Drop dead. Drop dead, you racist pig, you. That's the most racist thing this pig ever said in his life. Now, let me talk about that. They're not giving the flu vaccination to the, uh, the wonderful uh, asylees sitting there in, in the holding facilities. You know why they're not giving it to them? Because the minute they do, they'll be sued by the same lawyers who are suing them for everything else. Oh, you gave a kid from Nicaragua flu vaccination against their will. You caused brain damage. We're going to sue the U.S. government for forcing them to take vaccinations like Nazi Germany. How dare you give them vaccinations? It reminds me of uh, Hitler's Third Reich giving the poor brown children vaccinations. That's, that's what they are. These people are certifiably mad. There's only one place left for them, and that's San Francisco, where they redefine the language. I can believe that one. What else now? Is the U.S. joins countries in agreeing to regulate the giraffe trade. Okay, I, 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 animal stuff gets me sick. Drag queen challenges rep Adam Schiff for his seat in Congress. That is such a headline that is laden with so many potentials however it's a family show because if you put together drag queen and seat and adam schiff and you and you scramble the words i could keep you laughing for three hours but i'm not going to do it here's a funnier one the oppressed obama family you know the oppressed minorities barack and michelle you know the people who hated america purchasing a massive martha's vineyard mansion for 15 million dollars it's on 29 beachfront acres they already own a $9 million house in Washington, D.C., which just shows you that they came to do good and they did very well indeed. It works for them. This is how liberalism works. U.S. deficit to exceed $1 trillion next year. Mag. Mag. I wonder how long this can go on until the House of Cards collapses. That's what I want to know. How can you keep borrowing and spending and borrowing and spending and borrowing and spending and taxing not but borrowing and spending until the entire thing collapses. How long can this go on? Well, hopefully until the election. Uh, that's that. So here we are again. We're in segment number 18 of the Savage Nation. We go to Maryland where Donna has something to say about a crazy man on line two. Donna, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Hi, Michael. Well, I actually married a crazy man, but for all the right reasons. Uh, the gentleman I've been married to for around 40 years now, um, was well... Wait, wait, was he, is he still crazy? Uh, wait, wait, stop, wait, Donna, Donna. When you married him, he was crazy, or he became crazy from living with you? Uh, no, I think he was crazy before he started living with me. <laughs> at, least you got, at least you got a sense of humor. So what do you mean he was crazy? What did he do that, that was defined as crazy? Um, well, I think anybody that would try and break a world record, there's something unique in their character. Uh, a oh, you're boasting about your crazy husband. What world record? Uh, drumming. And what, he tried to do the longest drum roll in history? 
Yeah, well, it was a long, yeah, longest, um, you know, endurance at the time. They don't have those records anymore, but... Uh, what, you mean who could play the drums continuously longer? Correct, correct. Well, drummers are all crazy. I've known that from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. I, I took up drumming when I was young, but I wasn't crazy enough to excel at it. <laughs> interesting profession, and I've met some really terrific... Do you remember when I had Buddy Rich's daughter? She called from Las Vegas. He's been... You know who Buddy Rich is, right? Yes, my husband met him. Buddy Rich is one of the greatest drummers of all time. So I was playing a Buddy Rich solo on this show, and out of the blue comes a call from Vegas, and it's the daughter of Buddy Rich. I don't know if you remember that call. It was just amazing to me. It was quite a kick. Your husband still plays the drums or what? Yeah, um, and, and has... Uh, they let him bring in a drum set to assisted living? <laughs> well, we've just about done all of that because I'm, I'm a musician as well, but he's done a lot for teaching youngsters, and it's been a really great thing for them, and, and he has a friend that's still touring the world with his professional drum playing. So it's, it's been a very... Do they, do they, use dr they use a lot of drugs, drummers? No, not necessarily the drummers. I, I think... Personally, I've seen it more with the guitarist. Oh, and you and what do you play? What instrument? I play guitar, flute, mandolin. Uh, and you, you, you have children? You have children? Yes. How did you raise children being a musician? I would think that's very difficult to do. It's it's wonderful, and it's and my one of my children actually believes that the uh, there's mathematics involved with the guitar playing, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. He do, he doesn't believe that the earth is flat, huh? Definitely not a flat earther. Nope. Not <laughs> You're very good natured. I really appreciate it. And God bless you for doing such a great job. I'm sending you a copy of A Savage Life. Back in a minute. Savage. So you think of the mind behind an instrument, how fast the mind has to work in order to perform any instrument to begin with. But the computations to make a drum go that, you know, Iceland's leader won't be around to welcome Pence. Oh, God. Another one. Iceland's leader has announced that she'll skip U.S. Vice President Mike Pence's visit to her Nordic nation. Prime Minister Katrin Jacobs' daughter. Yeah, sure, I'll be there. Yeah, sure, not being here, going to Sweden. She said she's not going to be there for Pence because she's a left-wing fanatic. And although it's a country called Iceland, there's no ice left in Iceland. Uh, there's no Vikings anymore. Where have the Vikings gone? They've died. Where are the Vikings? Are they all Hell's Angels now locked up in prison somewhere in the Nordic countries? Where are they? Since taking office, Jacob's daughter, <laughs> Jacob's daughter, it must, mean, it must mean Jacob's daughter. Her name is Jacob's daughter. Jacob's daughter has spearheaded progressive policies on abortion rights, LGBT rights, and climate change. I'm sure her Viking ancestors are thrilled uh, hearing about the fact that she's committing suicide for her nation. Uh, activists, including members of her own left green party, have protested Pence's visit, calling it disrespectful to minorities. Why? Pence is one of the nicest Christian people on the planet. Where's the disrespect? To a, le a liberal, unless you worship a statue of Karl Marx when you arrive, you're disrespectful to the nation. All right, when I come back, we're speaking with a lieutenant colonel about the threat posing. Well, it's a threat about big deal. Savage.
All right. In the let, let's get serious for a few minutes here on the Savage Nation. China, Hong Kong, Taiwan, China, uh, war. It's all in the news. What does it really mean? Do you really know what's going on uh, in Hong Kong? Some of you may, some of you don't, some of you don't care. Why does it matter to us? Well, I've asked a, a Lieutenant Colonel, Bob McGinnis, who graduated from the U.S. Military Academy, and uh, he's an Airborne Ranger Infantry Officer, which is a very big deal. He has served in four infantry divisions on three continents, which is a very big deal. He knows what he's talking about. And he teaches at the Army War College. He has written nearly a thousand articles and six published books, including the 2018 book Alliance of Evil Russia, China, and the United States in a New Cold War. Now he's written a book called Progressive Evil, How Radicals Are Redefining America's Rights, Institutions, and Ideals. Let's go directly to Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis on the Savage Nation. Lieutenant Colonel, welcome to the Savage Nation. Well, it's my privilege, John, Dr. Savage. Thanks for having me. Now, how do I address you as a non-military man? Do I say Colonel McGinnis? What's the correct? Well, if you don't want to call me Bob, you can call me Colonel. <laughs> I love it. Colonel, let's have a beer together and talk about this. In the last few days, we've been watching China crack down on protesters in Hong Kong. What is this about? Well, it, it really dates back you know, to the 1997 when the Brits gave away Hong Kong to the uh, Chinese with the intention of uh, creating sort of what we call a two-system. Um, you know, we'll leave you alone. You'll, you can prosper. You can be what you've always been. However, you are now part of China. And so this is special administrative region, you know, has been in effect for a long time. It's supposed to continue, Dr. Savage, until 2047. However, uh, the communists in Beijing have started to change the system. Now, that's the background. For the last 11 weeks, almost 12, we've had protests. And those protests are really about, you know, they started off at something and they've morphed into something else. They started off you know, as a direct result of a pretty heinous crime committed in, of all places, Taiwan. You know, there was a Hong Kong resident, took his girlfriend uh, to Taiwan, you know, killed her, cut her body up, stuffed it in a suitcase, and then brought it back to Hong Kong. Well, Taiwan tried to extradite him, and, of course, they don't have an extradition order or an agreement. And so the Hong Kong government said, ah, this is our opportunity why don't we create an extradition treaty, uh, not only with Taiwan, but kind of carte blanche. That really scared a lot of people in Hong Kong because they understood that one with, you know, the step with Taiwan would lead to one with Beijing, and a lot of people in Hong Kong... So, wait, so this was initiated by the Hong Kong government, not by Beijing? That's very intriguing. I didn't know that. Oh, yes. The Hong Kong government started this, and but if they continued it, the real grievance was this is going to expand. China is mm. going to take advantage of a law. Sure. Really right, and they'll arrest any dissident they don't like and extradite them to China and kill them. Absolutely, and they would take a lot of people. And so that really generated a lot of protest. Now, that's the backstory. There's obviously a lot more. You've got, you know, China, has, China, Beijing, has been trying to really target universal suffrage in Hong Kong. And, in other words, one person, one vote. But they now, the Chinese communists, really want to impose, 
you know, communist Chinese doctrine, approach to government on Hong Kong. That, unfortunately, mm. for uh, the, the Hong Kong residents, and, of course, uh, Carrie Lam, who's the chief executive there in Hong Kong, is all in for what Beijing wants, because she... All right, but, but Colonel, wanna, a lot of people will say it's not our business. Why should we care? I know we should. Can you articulate why we should care? Well, China, China has 1.4 billion people. It is our major trading partner. Uh, it seeks to dominate the entire world. Uh, all you have to do is look at the China Dream that President Xi has put together. Uh, look at uh, Belt and Road Initiative, which now you know touches 120 countries. Uh, look at their long-term ambitions to be the world hegemon, uh, and that includes economic, but also military. And eventually, as they reach out, they're going to leverage every country in the world given the opportunity. So, what you see in Hong Kong is what you're going to see elsewhere in the world if we're not careful. We're speaking with a very important uh, man, Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, who knows what he's talking about. Most of us know a little bit about the Hong Kong. The people don't want to be extradited to China, so you got a million people in the streets. What do you think is going to be the outcome? You think Z is going to back down? Ah, uh, fair question. You know, if you believe what the president, our president, said, is that Chi ought to sit down with the protesters and work out a deal, and he said he could do it in 15 minutes. Um, not so sure that's going to happen in an authoritarian uh, environment such as Beijing with, you know, freedom-loving people that really don't want to be under the, you know, the, the iron hand of the communist Chinese. You know, what well, look, you're, well, you're a warrior. You are an airborne ranger infantry officer. You served in four infantry divisions. So you know what, what fighting really is. I want to ask you a crazy question. Is this country capable of fighting China? We certainly talk about and prepare to do that, Dr. Savage. Uh, it is a fair question. We didn't do so well during Korea. Uh, and I'm not so sure today we're prepared to have a land battle with China, given their capabilities. Um, and the, it takes a tough backbone. So I'm not convinced that we're prepared, nor can we any longer. I would say 20, 30 years ago, we probably were. Today, I'm not as, not as optimistic as I'd like to be. Well, we don't have a draft, number one. We have an all-volunteer force, number two. China has a draft, don't they? They just take who they want? Yeah, that's right. They have conscription. They have, their military is a little over 2 million active, and, of course, millions of others reserve. And 2 million active duty, amazing. And, and they'll die because they have to die. They get shot in the back if they don't, probably. In, in, in a head-on-head -head infantry clash between the U.S. and, and Chinese forces somewhere in a, in a, in a hypothetical they'd probably uh, do what they did in Korea, which is try to overrun the lines irrespective of death, right? Well, the, the difference today, Dr. Savage, is that the Chinese have been watching us very closely. Starting with the Gulf War of 1989, uh, they have gone to school on us, and they've copied our joint structure. They've talk, copied our weapon systems, our use of space. Uh, they've copied everything, uh, and they're very good. They're becoming very good at what they do. So we would, you know, based upon our own national defense strategy, would face a near peer, a near peer, quite frankly, that is outnumbering us very no. rapidly. And the technology they have is, you know, at least as good, if not better in some cases, than our own. You know, every year in San Francisco, there's a, um, a Navy thing here. We have an open thing. The ships come in, U.S. ships. Beautiful thing. And I'm invited aboard as a member of the media. 
I remember, I distinctly remember, a number of years ago while Obama was president, aboard one of these ships, there was a young Chinese woman with a camera who was allowed to go anywhere she wanted on that ship and take pictures of almost every aspect of the ship with a big smile. I thought it was crazy. I knew she was spying on our technology, but apparently uh, people in the military under Obama didn't know that. Well, I can tell you when we go to Beijing with our military personnel, we buy new phones before we get there, and we discard those phones on the way out. We recognize that they are spying. Uh, we recognize the spies here in Washington. You know, we're, they're literally stealing virtually anything that is not tied down. Locked. Well, what about foreign students, chi- students from China? Why are there so many of them allowed in our best universities in, in, in computing and technology? And Absolutely. why are they here? Well, they're here because we're naive. Well, you know, I'm not naive. We I'm are not naive. Not You're not naive. Students. Trump isn't naive. Why hasn't this changed under Trump, do you think? Yeah, well, it should have changed, but we still have a lot of visas out there, as you well know, for the universities. And we know how these young people are selected to come to the universities. We know how people are filling, you know, uh, some of our high-tech positions. Uh, And when you do background investigations on a lot of these people, you'll find uh, the tentacles reach back to China and certain organizations that we are known uh, to have taken in the past a great deal of our intellectual uh, knowledge. You have a new book called Progressive Evil, How Radicals Are Redefining America's Rights, Institutions, and Ideals. In a nutshell, what I mean, what are you saying there that we um, should know? The germ of the book is about how progressivism is communism? Well, it, it so, certainly has the tentacles of socialism and perhaps communism, but uh, I wrote the book primarily because I wanted Americans who, unfortunately, because of John Dewey and the history of American education, have abandoned, not because they've selected to do so, but have, don't have a knowledge of our own civics. They don't understand our rights. They don't understand our mm. you know, institutions, nor do they understand the ideals that made us at one time a very exceptional country. And what progressives are doing at, on each of those rights, each of those institutions, and each of those ideals is, uh, I think, terrible. But most Americans don't realize that. We need to recover those if we're going to survive in this new world. Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, is another question for you, and maybe it's our last one given the time constraints. The issue of Korea. Uh, Trump at first confronted Kim Jong mentally ill on, and then Trump suddenly saluted Kim Jong mentally ill on. Uh, Kim was called his good friend and a wonderful leader by Mr. Trump. The next thing he was doing was firing test missiles all over the sea of Japan. What the hell is he doing there? Well, what is he, what you, is he doing? What about what about miniature, miniaturized nukes? Does North Korea have miniaturized nukes? There was a, a report that the Japanese are going to have a white paper approved next month that talks about the miniaturization of nukes, which means that they can put those on ballistic missiles that they've been testing over the last mm. six weeks. Um, okay, so Japan is the number one. They're the one who, who are most frightened of this, of North Korea's craziness absolutely. with nukes, right? Doesn't Japan have a significant navy and military? Well, they're trying to be, in spite of the MacArthur-imposed you know, constitution. I, I know behind the scenes, Dr. Savage, they're trying to fix it, but they haven't been able to. I've talked to some very senior Japanese officers. Could Japan 
pose any kind of threat to China, God forbid there should be a confrontation. Does Japan have manpower or material that we could ally with? Mar- marginally at this point. They're not. Oh, my God. So they have almost nothing. Themselves. So they, they, have can't a use, they can't use a Toyota against uh, an incoming missile. No. You know, and the, and the Chinese know that. But I will tell you, I've, I've seen Japanese military maps that show all the incursions that the Chinese and the Russians, by the way, are making. And those incursions over the last year topped what we saw during the old Cold War. I mean, they are encircled. They are concerned, and rightly so. Wow. The book is Progressive Evil, How Radicals Are Redefining America's Rights, Institutions, and Ideals. And the author is Colonel Bob McGinnis. Thanks for being with us, Colonel. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Dr. Savage. Savage. Over the last five or six years, China's made $500 billion. $500 billion. Ripped it out of the United States. And not only that, if you take a look, intellectual property theft, add that to it and add a lot of other things to it. So somebody, excuse me, somebody had to do it. I am the chosen one. Somebody had to do it. So I'm taking on China. He didn't say the chosen one, did he? He said the chosen one. What a difference one letter can make. He said he's the chosen one. And, of course, he's being roundly criticized for calling himself the chosen one. But maybe he said the chosen one, and they didn't hear him correctly. That's a joke that maybe 0.1% of the military guys listening to the show will get and probably laugh, but it's no laughing matter. The chosen reservoir battle was one of the bloodiest battles in the Korean War, and it was horrible for our troops because they were overrun by Chinese who came and just ran with, uh, what do you call it, bayonets, charges, beyond belief. I don't know how we could ever fight a war like that. I don't know anybody who was in the Korean War. I knew one guy. I lost touch with him. One of the sweetest men I ever met who had no stomach or intestines because a bayonet from a Chinese military guy ripped his guts out in the Battle of Chosun Reservoir. And, uh, you know, you hear about a bayonet in the stomach and you live through that? Unbelievable. Well, lucky he's still with us. Now we turn on to the Obamas, uh, oppressed minorities they are. And the Obamas purchased a $15 million home on a beach at Martha's Vineyard. They already own a $9 million home in D.C. And as I wrote, they came to do good, and they did very well indeed. But the interesting question is, why would they buy a home on a beach, given that global warming is about to take uh, the earth away from us? Aren't they afraid that they'll be flooded out? Won't they drown because of the rising sea levels on Martha's Vineyard? They buy a 32-acre beachfront estate, the, the Obamas. And at the same time, they're worried about global warming and rising sea, le- sea levels. Well, let's hope Bernie Sanders gets to visit them at the home before it's flooded, because I'm sure he would enjoy the 1,200-thread uh, cotton sheets uh, while he's pondering the wonders of Marxism. What do you think about that? Why didn't he buy a home in Chicago? Uh, isn't, aren't they from Chicago? Why, why didn't they buy a mansion in Chicago near, near Louis Farrakhan, their good friend? I guess they're afraid of the gun violence. He made all of this money while in office. Isn't that amazing? While screaming about oppression and uh, racism and the evils of the white man. Only in America can people like them come out of nowhere, live on the taxpayers' uh, income, and then become billionaires in a country that they espouse to hate. I wake up in a house 
that was built by slaves. <laughs> and she laughed all the way to the bank. All the way to the bank. Okay, so he has a giant carbon footprint. He has a private jet, and they lecture us about uh, global warming. Isn't that amazing? There's some other topics that I tweeted and uh, wrote about. Uh, I did a few of them for you. We talked about the cop suicide epidemic this week, and I said it was related to attacks by liberals and the overuse of antidepressant drugs. And you can listen to that uh, on my podcast this week. Uh, It's a very important one to listen to. Tomorrow is a very, very special program right here on your local station. Be sure to be here or be absolutely nowhere. The Westwood One Podcast Network.